Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. Chumbacasino.com has over a hundred casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. Eighteen plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on Chumbacasino.com. I looked over the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's ChumbaCasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. VGW. Void or prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Chapter 27 of Tarzan of the Apes. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. This recording is by Mark Smith of Simpsonville, South Carolina. Tarzan of the Apes by Edgar Rice Burroughs Chapter 27 The Giant Again A taxicab drew up before an old-fashioned residence upon the outskirts of Baltimore. A man of about forty, well-built and with strong, regular features, stepped out, and paying the chauffeur, dismissed him. A moment later the passenger was entering the library of the old home. "'Ah, Mr. Candler!' exclaimed an old man, rising to greet him. "'Good evening, my dear professor,' cried the man, extending a cordial hand. "'Who admitted you?' asked the professor. "'Esmeralda!' "'Then she will acquaint Jane with the fact that you are here,' said the old man. "'No, Professor,' replied Candler, "'for I came primarily to see you.' "'Ah, I am honoured,' said Professor Porter. "'Professor,' continued Robert Candler, with great deliberation, as though carefully weighing his words, "'I have come this evening to speak with you about Jane.' You know my aspirations, and you have been generous enough to approve my suit. Professor Archimedes Q. Porter fidgeted in his armchair. The subject always made him uncomfortable. He could not understand why. Candler was a splendid match. But Jane, continued Candler, I cannot understand her. She puts me off first on one ground and then another. I have always the feeling that she breathes a sigh of relief every time I bid her good-bye. "'Tut-tut,' said Professor Porter. "'Tut-tut, Mr. Candler. Jane is a most obedient daughter. She will do precisely as I tell her.' "'Then I can still count on your support?' asked Candler, a tone of relief marking his voice. "'Certainly, sir, certainly, sir,' exclaimed Professor Porter. "'How could you doubt it?' "'There is young Clayton, you know,' suggested Candler. "'He has been hanging about for months.' I don't know that Jane cares for him, but beside his title they say he has inherited a very considerable estate from his father, and it might not be strange if he finally won her, unless—and Candler paused. Tut-tut, Mr. Candler, unless what? Unless, 
"'You see fit to request that Jane and I be married at once,' said Candler, slowly and distinctly. "'I have already suggested to Jane that it would be desirable,' said Professor Porter, sadly, "'for we can no longer afford to keep up this house, and live as her associations demand.' "'What was her reply?' asked Candler. "'She said she was not ready to marry anyone yet.' replied Professor Porter, and that we could go and live upon the farm in northern Wisconsin which your mother left her. It is a little more than self-supporting. The tenants have always made a living from it, and been able to send Jane a trifle beside each year. She is planning on our going up there the first of the week. Philander and Mr. Clayton have already gone to get things in readiness for us. Clayton has gone there? exclaimed Candler, visibly chagrined. Why was I not told? I would gladly have gone and seen that every comfort was provided. Jane feels that we are already too much in your debt, Mr. Candler, said Professor Porter. Candler was about to reply, when the sound of footsteps came from the hall without, and Jane entered the room. Oh, I beg your pardon, she exclaimed, pausing on the threshold. I thought you were alone, Papa. "'It is only I, Jane,' said Candler, who had risen. "'Won't you come in and join the family group? We were just speaking of you.' "'Thank you,' said Jane, entering and taking the chair Candler placed for her. "'I only wanted to tell Papa that Toby is coming down from the college to-morrow to pack his books. I want you to be sure, Papa, to indicate all that you can do without until fall. Please don't carry this entire library to Wisconsin.' as you would have carried it to Africa if I had not put my foot down. "'Was Toby here?' asked Professor Porter. "'Yes, I just left him. He and Esmeralda are exchanging religious experiences on the back porch now.' "'Tut, tut! I must see him at once!' cried the Professor. "'Excuse me just a moment, children.' And the old man hastened from the room. As soon as he was out of earshot, Candler turned to Jane. "'See here, Jane,' he said bluntly. "'How long is this thing going on like this? "'You haven't refused to marry me, but you haven't promised either. "'I want to get the license to-morrow, "'so that we can be married quietly before you leave for Wisconsin. "'I don't care for any fuss or feathers, and I'm sure you don't either.' "'The girl turned cold, but she held her head bravely. "'Your father wishes it, you know,' added Candler. "'Yes, I know.' She spoke scarcely above a whisper. "'Do you realize that you are buying me, Mr. Candler?' she said finally, and in a cold, level voice. "'Buying me for a few paltry dollars? Of course you do, Robert Candler, and the hope of just such a contingency was in your mind when you loaned Papa the money for that hair-brained escapade which but for a most mysterious circumstance would have been surprisingly successful. But you, Mr. Candler, would have been the most surprised. You had no idea that the venture would succeed. You are too good a businessman for that. And you are too good a businessman to loan money for buried treasure-seeking, or to loan money without security, unless you had some special object in view." You knew that without security you had a greater hold on the honor of the porters than with it. You knew the one best way to force me to marry you 
without seeming to force me. You have never mentioned the loan. In any other man I should have thought that the prompting of a magnanimous and noble character. But you are deep, Mr. Robert Candler. I know you better than you think I know you. I shall certainly marry you if there is no other way. But let us understand each other once and for all. While she spoke, Robert Candler had alternately flushed and paled, and when she ceased speaking he arose, and with a cynical smile upon his strong face, said, "'You surprise me, Jane. I thought you had more self-control, more pride. Of course you are right. I am buying you, and I knew that you knew it, and I thought you would prefer to pretend that it was otherwise. I should have thought your self-respect and your porter pride would have shrunk from admitting—' even to yourself, that you were a bought woman. But have it your own way, dear girl," he added lightly. I am going to have you, and that is all that interests me. Without a word the girl turned and left the room. Jane was not married before she left with her father and Esmeralda for her little Wisconsin farm, and as she coldly bid Robert Candler good-bye as her train pulled out, he called to her that he would join them in a week or two. At their destination they were met by Clayton and Mr. Philander, in a huge touring car belonging to the former, and quickly whirled away through the dense northern woods towards the little farm which the girl had not visited before, since childhood. The farmhouse, which stood on a little elevation some hundred yards from the tenant-house, had undergone a complete transformation during the three weeks that Clayton and Mr. Philander had been there. The former had imported a small army of carpenters and plasterers, plumbers and painters, from a distant city, and what had been but a dilapidated shell when they reached it was now a cosy little two-story house filled with every modern convenience procurable in so short a time. "'Why, Mr. Clayton, what have you done?' cried Jane Porter, her heart sinking within her as she realized the probable size of the expenditure that had been made. "'Shh!' cautioned Clayton. Don't let your father guess. If you don't tell him, then he will never notice, and I simply couldn't think of him living in the terrible squalor and sordidness which Mr. Philander and I found. It was so little when I would like to do so much, Jane. For his sake, please, never mention it. But you know that we can't repay you, cried the girl. Why do you want to put me under such terrible obligations? Don't. Jane," said Clayton sadly. If it had been just you, believe me, I wouldn't have done it, for I knew from the start that it would only hurt me in your eyes, but I couldn't think of that dear old man living in the hole we found here. Won't you please believe that I did it just for him, and give me that little crumb of pleasure at least?" "'I do believe you, Mr. Clayton,' said the girl because I know you are big enough and generous enough to have done it just for him, and, oh, Cecil, I wish I might repay you as you deserve, as you would wish. Why can't you, Jane? Because I love another. Candler? No. But you are going to marry him. He told me as much before I left Baltimore. The girl winced. I do not love him she said, almost proudly. "'Is it because of the money, Jane?' She nodded. "'Then am I so much less desirable than Candler?' 
I have money enough and far more for every need, he said bitterly. I do not love you, Cecil, she said, but I respect you. If I must disgrace myself by such a bargain with any man, I prefer that it be one I already despise. I should loathe the man to whom I sold myself without love, whomsoever he might be. You will be happier, she concluded, alone with my respect and friendship than with me and my contempt. He did not press the matter further, but if ever a man had murder in his heart it was William Cecil Clayton, Lord Greystoke, when, a week later, Robert Candler drew up before the farmhouse in his purring six-cylinder. A week passed, a tense, uneventful, but uncomfortable week for all the inmates of the little Wisconsin farmhouse. Candler was insistent that Jane marry him at once. At length she gave in from sheer loathing of the continued and hateful importuning. It was agreed that on the morrow Candler was to drive to town and bring back the license and a minister. Clayton had wanted to leave as soon as the plan was announced, but the girl's tired, hopeless look kept him. He could not desert her. Something might happen yet, he tried to console himself by thinking and in his heart he knew that it would require but a tiny spark to turn his hatred for Candler into the blood-lust of the killer. Early the next morning Candler set out for town. In the east smoke could be seen lying low over the forest, for a fire had been raging for a week not far from them, but the wind still lay in the west, and no danger threatened them. About noon Jane started off for a walk. She would not let Clayton accompany her. She wanted to be alone, she said, and he respected her wishes. In the house Professor Porter and Mr. Philander were immersed in the absorbing discussion of some weighty scientific problem. Esmeralda dozed in the kitchen, and Clayton, heavy-eyed after a sleepless night, threw himself down upon the couch in the living-room and soon dropped into a fitful slumber. To the east the black smoke-clouds rose higher into the heavens. Suddenly the 